0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Title Block, a podcast about Canadian theater designers, their history and their craft. And I am, of course, your host, Michael Cruz. And tonight, another episode of The Title Block Live uh, here on YouTube. Um, tonight, I'm coming to you from uh, Cataraqui, the land of the Huron, Wendat, Algonquin, Mississauga, and Haudenosaunee people, uh, where the other settler name is Kingston, Ontario. And tonight on The Title Block Live, we have a panel on sustainability in design. Uh, the UN has named this the Decade of Action, our last chance to create the transformation to a livable future. Uh, what does it mean to align our practices with a 1.5 degrees Celsius global temperature rise? Uh, this event focuses on the aesthetics of a climate friendly sustainable design in theater as a core design practice and as a part of a larger equitable green recovery. Let me introduce you to tonight's panel and, uh, and a reminder their complete bios and links to the work will be found uh, at thetuttleblock.com when this is released on the podcast feed. Uh, now, give me a second, everything is minimized. This is a classic Zoom issue, one second. All right, first, I want to introduce, Logan Cracknell. If uh, I just gotta find his bio, one moment. All right, here we go. Uh, First, the panel, Uh, Logan Raju-Cracknell is a Toronto-based lighting designer who has been working in dance, theater, and opera in Ontario. He was recently an assistant lighting designer at both the Shaw and Stratford Festivals, which we have featured predominantly here on the Title Block. Uh, Logan, welcome to the Title Block Live. Do you want to say hello? Just unmute your mic and say hello. Uh, Hi. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) All right. Off to a great start here tonight. Uh, Kendra Fanconi comes to us from uh, Huesam on traditional unceded territories of the Seashell First Nations, colonially known as Roberts Creek, BC, on the Sunshine Coast. She's the artistic director of The Only Animal, a place based theater company that works for solutionary outcomes to the climate crisis. Kendra, welcome to the Tuttle Block Live.
1: It's great to be here. Thanks for having us.
0: And Paul Fujimoto Peel is a project manager at the Grand Theatre on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, uh, and Anishinaabeg, Lenape, and Wendat peoples on Treaty 6 lands in London, Ontario. He is chair of the Ontario section of the CITT and director of TD Arts. He enjoys spending time with his family playing Kerbal Space Program, which I have no idea what it is, but it sounds fantastic, and explaining the difference between watts and watt hours to strangers on the internet. Paul, welcome to the TuttleBlock Block Live.
2: Thank you, and we will we will talk about KSB afterwards. Fantastic, oh, KSB even fantastic. Uh,
0: Lauren Gaston is a costume designer, uh, or Gaston, she'll correct me, I'm sure, is a costume designer, illustrator, and sustainability advocate who lives on the territories of Muncie, Lenape, Kanarsi and Wappinger, colloquially known as Astoria. Queens in New York City. She's the co author of the Sustainable Production Toolkit and a member of the United Scenic Artists Local 829 and IOTC Local 764. Lauren, welcome to the Tattle Block Live.
3: Hi, thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Is it Gaston or Gaston? Am, Gaston.
3: Am I just Canadian?
0: Gaston, I'm Canadian. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> uh, or I'm going back to uh, Beauty uh, and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Exactly. Beauty and the
3: Beast.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: All right. Ilya Kirby. Ilya Kirby founded and runs the GNW Scene Shop, but suspects that it runs him. He lives and breathes on the unceded <laughs> ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil First Nations. Ilya, welcome to the Title Block Live.
4: Thank you. It's fun to be here.
0: Ken McKenzie is not with us yet, but he will be joining us in a few minutes once he finishes at the ADC. Uh, he is a scenic lighting and costume designer based in Toronto. He's been a resident artist at Soulpepper Theatre Company and is the current president of the Board of Directors of the Associated Designers of Canada. Uh, we'll welcome him to the show in a second. He was here uh, back on a, on a set design panel a little while ago, uh, and we'll uh, have him join us when he's ready. Uh, Michelle Tracy is an eco-sonographer and co-founder of Triga Collective, a collective of designers who value the sustainability of people, planet, and profit. Lately, Michelle has been making fashion masks and rediscovering burb life in Mississauga. Michelle, welcome to the Tuttle Block Live.
5: Hi, thanks for having me. Uh,
0: Edward T. Morris is a set and projection designer and sustainability advocate in the U.S. He's another co-author of the Sustainable Projection Production toolkit. Edward is a member of the United Scenic United Scenic. I can't speak tonight. United Scenic Artists, local 829 and Wing Space Theatrical Design. He teaches at the New School in New York City on traditional Lenape land. Edward, welcome to the Tuttle Block Live.
4: Thanks for having me.
0: And finally, Ian Garrett is a designer, producer, educator, and a researcher in the field of sustainability in arts and culture. He is the director of the Center for Sustainable Practice in the Arts. Uh, I believe that's at Oh, I don't know what that is. I don't, sorry. He's a center for the sustainable practice in the arts. I've lost completely my mind when I'm reading these bios. Associate professor of ecological design for performance at York University and the producer for Toaster Lab. Ian, welcome to the title block live. Thanks for having me. I, I, for some reason, I thought the sustainable practice, the center for sustainable practice in the arts was at York University, but that's not true, is it?
6: That, uh, that, uh, it is not true. Um, okay. And then, but it's a, it's a common misconception. Because okay. oftentimes, centers, especially when they're RE, end up at universities.
0: Yes, exactly. That's exactly why I said it that way. And is also our moderator for tonight's discussion. Uh, so I will switch over to our panel view uh, and uh, let him take over the moderation of sustainability and design, and I will fade into the background.
6: Uh, thank you, Michael um it's great to uh well and we were talking about this in the in the in the pre-show as we were sort of talking to each other it's technically my third time on the title block but the first time that michael's actually been running the show uh so i've managed to complete to to now have my third time on a podcast uh and it's the first time i've interacted with the host uh live so you know that's that's that actually should be par for the course for 2020. Um, I want to do a couple of uh, acknowledgments uh, of my own. Uh, one. Uh, that I'm coming from Toronto or Tkaronto, which uh, has been caretaken by the Anishabe Nation, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, the Huron-Wendat, and the Métis. Uh, it's cr- now home to many Indigenous peoples. Uh, the current treaty holders, though, are the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. And this territory is subject to the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Belt Covenant Agreement to peaceably share and care for the Great Lakes region. Uh, the CSBA or the Center for Sustainable Practice in the Arts, which I will typically shorten to CSBA, or oftentimes my British friends will just call it CISPA, um, which always makes me, like throws me for a loop, uh, also stands in solidarity with Black Lives Matter, um, and anti-racist efforts uh, and so I also acknowledge uh, as a white male living in Canada who has a tenured faculty position that I have um, very significant benefits and significant systematic uh, systemic and institutional privilege and I see it part of my responsibility holding the privilege to work as an ally for those who do not benefit from the same privilege. Um, one more is that um, uh, and I've started to do this in our COVID times is to acknowledge, um, our tech platforms that we're working with, um, uh, that there are, you know, problematic usages of zoom, um, and, uh, and Facebook that happen at this time regarding the way that they deal with privacy, um, and responsibility for information, uh, that, uh, that's transmitted for both of those systems. So, uh, I acknowledge that, that, uh, We are in society while we critique it, and we have to work through that as well. I also want to, one last acknowledgement, and then I'm gonna get into the questions. I I just want to acknowledge that also um, people that, uh, a couple of people who couldn't join us today, um, uh, we had a similar panel uh, last week uh, with a slightly different configuration of people that was really excellent. That was part of the PACT conference program. and uh, Shizuka Kai, who uh, has worked a lot with Kendra and is now taking over as an associate AD role at Carousel uh, in uh, in Vancouver, uh, is not uh, is not able to rejoin us for the panel today, um, but she was a significant um, uh, contributor to the previous one. And then Sage Paul, who really was part of the planning for all of this, and um, uh, got work. Uh, and so we're not going to stand in the way in these strange times of somebody um, being able to practice their craft. Uh, so uh, I wish they could be here with us, but um, know that it's all for good reasons uh, that we've reconfigured in this way. So we've got a lot of people Um here i'm gonna i'm gonna throw to one very open question and sort of go around uh in the similar way that we started last time which is just uh because this is a big question that we get all the time i'm sure paul if you are constantly uh explain the difference between kilowatts and kilowatt hours then uh I'm sure that you're getting this question too. And maybe you want to lead us off then for this. Um as good a reason as any. Um but what does it actually mean to you uh to work in a sustainable and ecologically beneficial way?
2: Ooh, that's a, <laughs> off the off the top. Um I, I think really that uh ultimately the goal is to work in a way that uh that balances enough with nature that we can continue it indefinitely in a sustainable way. Indefinitely being until you know the sun expands and consumes the earth and, and all that. But but that uh our uh impact on our planet um and societies are sustainable in such a way that we can continue to do them for many, many tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands, millions of years. Uh, and we are obviously very far from from that right now. <laughs> yes.
6: Um, I think that the way that the Bretland Report, which is where a lot of this comes from in the UN context, like the phrase that they use is meeting the needs of the present without compromising the needs of the future. Um, but- so... I yeah. Love that. Uh, yeah, Which is which is a, a, a sort of uh, broad idea. Um, moving, I, I'm going to jump so that we come into other disciplines as well. But Michelle is someone who wasn't able to join us last time and didn't get a chance to respond to this or a similar question. Um, how how does it work with you? How do you think about working in a, a sustainable and ecologically
5: beneficial way? That is such a massive question. So thanks for starting there. <laughs> um, I sort of. Uh, at Triga, my uh, design collective that I work with, we sort of split it up thinking about the sustainability of people, planet, and profit. Um, we joined because we recognize a lack of sustainability within our own industry as artists to support ourselves. We didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't have a, lo- a lot of formal systems for mentorship uh, and exchange and professional development. So that's really key to my practice to um trying to put all those things in place for my community um, and then of course there's looking at you know our waste reduction as much as we as much as we can like minimizing the negative impact we have on the planet shifting towards circular design so sort of planning for future lives of our work and um, hoping to leave behind a positive impact and um, being able to sustain ourselves in this industry and make the industry thrive okay.
6: Those are all excellent. Excellent directions, ahead. head. Um, as uh, as a couple as our a couple of our design compatriots to the south, um, I might turn it to, and you can pick which order you want to go in. It's a race to the mic. Uh, Edward and Lauren, um, what does it mean uh, for you? Um, and and can you also tell us a little bit more about how that sort of started to manifest in the toolkit that you've been working on?
3: Edward, why don't you jump in since?
7: Sure. Um, I I do have a good answer, because it's actually someone else's answer. So uh, Lauren and I are both inspired by the work of the Broadway Green Alliance, and uh, they have put it better than I can put it. And um, they say, we ask uh, that our members uh, commit to being greener and doing better each day, as climate change does not result from one large negative action, but rather the cumulative effect of billions of small actions Progress comes from millions of us doing a little bit better each day. Um, So I have always liked how they put that um, because it it helps me uh, break it down into small actions that I can actually take as opposed to a a problem that's too big for us to address. Um, Yeah, Uh, Lauren, do you wanna go?
3: Yeah. And uh, similar to what um, Michelle said too, something where looking at in the sustainable production toolkit is sort of sustainability from the human side, environmental side, and from a financial side, and looking at those three components as really being interwoven. Um, You know, we can reduce and reuse, but if people don't have livable wages and are working under a burnout model, it's still not sustainable. So we're exploring um, how those three aspects Um, influence one another and how actionable strategies can be built within, within each to influence the whole.
6: Thank you. Uh, I'm going to come back, come back north um uh across across the virtual border which is entirely open as opposed to the land border (laughs) which is currently not feasible (laughs) to cross and bring it uh uh to to logan as we said a a transition also into sort of like an instant like questioning it also from an institutional side of things like how does uh having especially come out of these staffed positions as an assistant where you're working in a design role that is in and within housed at least within the institution like um and i don't know if that definitely uh, that how much that shapes how you define this but what does it mean what does it mean for you to work in a sustainable and ecologically beneficial way
8: um i think for myself uh a big part of it because like my primary focus is lighting design uh it's not always find as easy to do things as like, you know, repurposing materials and stuff. But uh, I try to do a lot of work around avoiding needing to purchase something new to fulfill the design. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether that be sourcing, you know, gear that I have, contacts and people for resources. Um, just to like, you know, lower that like, must, like, you know, manufacturing kind of the the carbon footprint of, of that. End. Um, and then from like the assistant uh, position, um, one gets like, I think a little trickier as I feel there there's a level of less control, but then it's like, you know, things like reducing like my footprint. Cause I know like I'll be using my computer that has to be used for what I do, then it's okay. Can I reduce the amount of paper that this position is using? Um, and kind of, you know, finding the balance between the things I have to use uh, and the things that have, you know, just been a convenient thing um, and what I can kind of negotiate there.
6: That, that la- uh, like, how how you just sort of phrased it at the end there, I think is, like, sort of connects through those various sort of ideas of, like, what has to be done and what's convenient to do. And I want to come back to... Um, uh, as we we're going to be talking i think i hope uh, about support is um how how does one function as an assistant in this realm but let's come back to that because i want to make sure everybody gets a chance to to, to respond to this question and then we're going to open it up into a more freewheeling conversation um knockwood uh, uh elia in our last panel you commented uh, on um like how how much time you've spent with a, on this topic and approaching it uh, over the last few decades, uh, so I, both the initial question that I'm posing to everybody and how what it means to work sustainably and in an ecologically beneficial way, and perhaps also how you've seen that change in uh, in the time that you've spent thinking about it.
4: Um. Well, uh, I mean, I think like everybody, it's. A- sort of, uh, sort of a bit of dread mixed with, um, you know, uh, passion. I mean, it's sort of an understanding that the, the very air that we breathe, it's the land we walk on, it's the, you know, it's our children. Um, all of that is why we do this. Uh, you know, it's an understanding, I think, that um, we, you know, we speak, on sort of ethereal terms and and very real terms about the meaning of stories and how they affect our lives. Um, And I think that we also have a very latent and very real understanding of how the environment uh, very much affects our lives. I mean, you know, we don't have to go very far. Um, Certainly, you know, the number of storms in the south and, uh, you know, the list goes on. I think that's why we do it. Um, how has it changed it's changed uh, on one hand it's gone from a fringe sort of uh, why do you do that sort of attitudes um, from from people um, to uh, a very embedded understanding in uh, throughout uh, our industry throughout our community this is incredibly important um, <clears throat> you're probably aware that the, the uh, British Film Institute and just published a report yesterday about how they're trying to take the film industry to net zero emissions by 2050. Um, so, you know, like very real... Now, it's a lot of talk still. So, you know, we've got it... But people are listening, and I think that's the most important thing, is is that it's, you're no longer having to convince people of the relevancy of something. What now is is it's coming up with real and tangible ways that this can be achieved and I think that's the difference. It's not the the why it's the how
6: yeah um, I think that that actually leads very uh, like really well into asking the question of Kendra and I know that Ken. Hello, Ken. Thank. Uh, Ken has just joined us too, so I have to be. Uh, I, I realize that as I'm as I'm uh, tipping to Ken and Kendra that I have to enunciate to make sure that. Uh, uh, that uh, I don't uh, confuse questions intended for a specific one of you. Uh, Ken, we, we're, we're starting off with, um, so that you're aware and have a moment uh, to process your thoughts on sort of what it means to work in a, a sustainable and ecologically beneficial way as just sort of a kickoff. Um, coming out of Elia's con- uh, comment, I wanted to next go to, to Kendra with, um, as someone who has sort of become, like you're brought in a lot to talk about the importance of this. A lot of it because of the significant work and the the way that you've shaped the only animal. Um, What does it mean to you to work in this sustainable and ecologically beneficial way?
1: I think the context that we work in, which is that we are a site-specific, place-based theater company that has worked a lot in the natural world um, for about 15 years. And so our our values and practices have developed and we have um, a lot of freedoms because uh, we don't work attached to a venue that maybe already has a carbon footprint. Like we we make a lot of decisions um, from the ground up. (laughs) Uh, But I would say as our our mandate and values have evolved, we have begun to see that that we really want to put our values into action. So the values of the company are things like aligning our theatre practice with um, a livable future with only 1.5 degree temperature rise and the carbon budgeting that um, is responsible within that ethically. Uh, We decided only last year, uh, this is our first full year, uh, as a no-fly company. And as we work kind of with the national community and international community, we are continually saying to people, hey, we're happy to talk to you about doing something, but just so you know, we'll be connecting you with your local artists. We're not flying to where you are to work with you. Um, We're also a buy-nothing-new company, which is an extremely challenging um, thing to undertake, but that we feel... Um, that the urgency of our times is such that we're just called to do it and to take on those challenges. I I found your question interesting because it was not only what does it mean to work in a sustainable way, but I think I got this right, Ian, an ecologically beneficial way.
6: Yeah, I I may have tipped my bias. (laughs) And
1: (laughs) um, (laughs) when I think about that, uh, I'll just tell you about a project we're just beginning. It's a Uh, a longer project. It's called A Thousand Year Theater. And what we're doing is planting a set out of native um, uh, rainforest species to BC where we live. And uh, that it will mature in a thousand years. So it's A Thousand Year Theater is the name of the project. And um, we're working with communities that have experienced severe clear cutting and we'll be um, installing our theaters there. We'll also be installing the theater, we hope in a more urban environment. And it's a place where you can go and kind of consider your role as steward and, and also consider what your belief in the future is. Can you believe in a thousand years? And, and part of what we're doing also is working with the kids climate movement, the youth climate movement, which is so beautiful, as, uh, and theater makers who are within that movement that will kind of create this handoff of this theater from um, generation to generation and kind of do a process design that could last a 1,000 years. Mm -hmm. And we know that stewardship is necessary within keeping those species like the red cedar, which is the mother of of our forests here. Um, And they're stressing out because of climate and they're starting to walk north, trees walk very slowly. So, in that work, we're also trying to sort of support the species that are under stress, so that they can stay here with us. Um, And that role of stewardship is part of this bigger thing that we see that artists are called in this time to transition us from a culture of consumerism, which is so hard on the planet, to a culture of stewardship or a culture of care. And this moment in, in time with the COVID crisis, um, with the, the crisis of what white supremacy has caused in our society and the harm that it continues to cause. I think this, this idea of the culture of care really resonates against all those things. And we know climate is intersectional. And so there are many places there to work for climate justice.
6: Thank you. Ken.
7: Hi. I'm,
6: I'm gonna open it up to you. Th- I know that like uh, this is this is the design podcast and the, the mo- and most of the 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 audience uh, has an interest, at least, if not, is also designers. Although judging by the numbers and su- uh, subscriptions that Michael mentioned, it must go beyond the design community, uh, uh, at least in Canada, because I know that um, we're a small and tight-knit community. But you're also in a unique position as, like, president of the of the adc right now when the adc is doing a lot of work which is also like one of the reasons why things are butted up against each other um uh, so as i tip this question to you as well before we open it up into something a little bit more freewheeling um both in your perspective as a designer and perhaps to you know with your thousand eye view of of issues facing designers in canada um, what, what do you think about uh, working in a sustainable and ecologically beneficial way?
9: Well, I think it's increasingly uh, a, a core value of designers as they, as they uh, you know, as, especially as a younger generation um, comes up and an older generation goes up. But even within the older generation, I think there's a recognition of uh, the unsustainability of the work that has happened. And I think within the theater context, that de- design is, is a, uh, I don't wanna say it's an easy target because I'm not trying to let us off the hook, but I think at the end of any production, when the dumpster pulls up and the set gets loaded out and thrown away, it hurts uh, people's hearts a little bit, you know? And, and when, you know, costumes uh, are, are really easily disposable um, that hurts people's hearts a little bit. And I think we all have a a sense of like, okay, there's gotta be a better way, right? There's just, there's got Mm -hmm. to be a better way. Um, and, and so I think we're at this place where that, that feeling of there's gotta be a better way is, is butting up against, okay, but, but as a designer, I have so little control of how these things are done. Um, I walk into, I'm a freelance artist who walks into a theater company that already has a culture of how they execute a design uh, and, and, you know, where it comes from and where it goes to after it's done. I have no part in that. And so how do I exercise some measure of control on that? Or how do I exercise my, my ethic around that? And so uh, I think I think what we're finding is that actually there are theater companies too, who who feel that way, uh, who would like to be able to uh, cross that bridge with designers. But but up until now, you know, there hasn't been this conversation between either producers or uh, uh, pr- production companies, or and and designers. Um, or departments of, of production, you know, like the the conversation just hasn't been happening. And I think that that hasn't been happening for a bunch of reasons. There are, of course, there are places where it does, but in a lot of places in the majority of places that I, I have worked, uh, you step into that theater company and you don't assume that they have some kind of uh, uh, sustainable principle that they work by, but also to implicate that them and and to sort of push yourself, push that, that belief or that idea or that value upon them. Uh, I, I don't think that there are many designers who believe that they have that power. And, and so I think beginning those conversations is, is something that uh, as uh, the president of the ADC uh, who has access, I think, to more producers and, and to the uh, organizations that represent producers, that's something that we can do. We can begin that conversation. And, and I, I remember, um, A conversation that I had a couple of months ago with with Kendra, one of the values that she articulated that really resonated for me was uh, the value of immediacy, right? That if we're going to walk into a theater company, uh, we should just, we should start that conversation. We should all be a part of starting that conversation now and not waiting for the theater company to, to bring that up as a value of their own. But actually, I think theater companies, for the most part, are in a place where they are receptive to that value. I think that they're, uh, they understand that as uh, representatives uh, of social values and, and people who prompt social value, mm-hmm. that that's a place that they, um, they have a responsibility to, to that. Uh, so I you know I think we're in a good place right now to to push this along and and even this this moment where everybody has had to step away from their work is also a moment where they're reevaluating their work and and I think this that makes this a prime moment for uh, organizations to say in spite of the fact that there might be a greater costs associated with it there is and and I don't think that's necessarily true but I think that that's a fear mm-hmm. um, that Stepping back, looking at the way that they make work uh, in their production departments and and you know in their uh, organizations in a larger way, it's something that organizations are at this moment prepared to do, yeah, maybe more so than ever.
6: Well, definitely in this pause too. I think it's also, I mean, to to uh, sort of actually underscore, like, even not just hypothetically, we're in the right time and place, but here we are, a group at uh, the uh, like more designers than not uh in it but you know like i said it's a design podcast that's bound to happen uh uh, but people who are working as freelancers people who have recent experience working as staff in that design capacity but then also people coming from other parts of the production who are engaging designers as well and that's sort of like why this panel is built this way also in in across different professional contexts of looking at how this is is um manifesting in our neighbors uh to the south uh as well um so i think it's a great time to sort of like open it up to like now albeit everybody here is like has an answer to the what does it mean to work sustainably question which means you've thought about it uh if you're not already bought in and working actively in this direction which i know a lot of people uh on this panel have um what do you want from what like what would make it easier for you to make these commitments from your collaborators. And I'll open that up to anybody. I'm not going to give the whole t- call on everybody. We made it through the call on you s- session of it. Um, but uh, this is a more casual structure than our conference.
9: Yeah. I, I would just really quickly. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is time. Um, I think especially as we decide we want to make a transition from being less sustainable to more sustainable, I think that figuring out what that transition looks like means uh, allowing more time on any project. And that has lots of different implications, including, um, you know, paying people more for, for more time. But I, you know, I mean, I'll leave it
6: at that and let anybody else. Well, I, I mean, you, you you mentioned that, but I know, like, towards the end of our conversation for the PA- uh, pack conference, it was not a designer who said. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to call you out, Paul. Um, it was not a designer that said that it was about paying your designers and giving them more time. It was someone um, from within a PAC theater that mentioned that. Um, uh, it seems like you wouldn't be opposed to that, Paul. But like, what, what, what from you from from being within the grand, which has made a lot of commitments recently, so it's also like, um, like, what do you, what do you, what do you need from us to to help you along the journey there, or to model it for others?
2: Yeah, you know, I I I would, I'm very inspired by the things that Ken was saying, and and I think uh, that he's he's really captured it um, quite nicely that uh to build on that, I would say that we um, what would instantly be in, and at, at least in my experience in the companies that I've worked in, um, if a designer walked in and said, here's all the I've done all the numbers, I've run all the research, here where you buy the materials, here's how to build it. this is all this stuff. you know, it's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to take you any longer. It's going to last just as long. it's going to look as good, it's going to be easy to maintain. Uh, here you go. And and it's, and it's going to reduce your carbon footprint by 75%. I, I can't imagine any theater in, in the country saying no. Um, what that means, though, is that it's, all of a sudden, all of that burden is on is on the designer. And where do they get that time from when they already don't have enough time to do their jobs? Do their jobs to the, the best of their ability and their time. So... I think uh, one of the things is to ch- try to find ways to share the burden, uh, like obviously one of the ways is to uh, in a dream world, we, we suddenly have funding from sustainable funding, long-term funding from whatever source, um, be it ticket sales or donations or federal or private foundations, um, that, uh, that we can actually lengthen those lead times in, in mm-hmm. design and, and creation of work um uh but the other thing is that we can do is we can we can kind of start to share the load so um whether it's and and it really starts with a conversation of like ah we want to we want to make this show and do it in such a way that's more sustainable and let's define what that means and let's let's set some goals together and and start having those conversations at the at the onset like when Maybe even before contracts are signed um, to say here's here 's where we're here 's where we want to head uh, and can you be on that journey with me and and how much can we put into this and and you know I think incremental change is better than no change, so switching to rechargeable batteries for example is is a pretty easy switch um, and uh and i think that we have we have the data out there to say it's it's totally doable um uh, from a production standpoint it has you know no negative impacts um but but if we can do a little bit more every show and particularly when we have producing houses producing houses or or uh, houses that work in rep where they can do the rechargeable batteries on show A and then rechargeable batteries and recycling on show B and rechargeable batteries and recycling and use three stock flats on show C and keep building on those foundations. Um, And that, and that the role of designers in that could be, could very well be to uh, take those winning, uh, those winning propositions from each of their past shows and bring them into future shows. Many, much like the, many designers already do with with uh design elements um you know just borrowing from previous shows saying hey I, I know this effect that we were trying to achieve and it did it on this other show and here's how you do it and um and that works across all departments um, here's here's how to build this corset in such a way that it does this particular thing here's how to here's how to achieve this lighting effect um, yeah. And, and it's the designers bringing the professional development to the theaters uh, and to the craftspeople. There's also, there was a, I don't know if it's still happening, but in the States, there were uh, a number of companies who had started up doing um, artisan exchanges. So the head scenic artist in company A um, would swap places with a head scenic carpenter, head scenic artist in company B for three weeks or four weeks or six weeks or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and they would each learn how the other company worked and, and the things that the other company did that was, were really cool and really, really interesting. And then brought them back to their own company uh, and vice versa. So really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's like what we're doing now is, is gathering together groups of people and and sharing knowledge and practices that, um, that we
0: don't necessarily
6: get to do all the time. Yeah, my, my design colleagues there, yeah. I, and I also appreciate, I noticed that, that when, when you mentioned this model, the Edward also sort of like took note of it. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll tip to you, Edward. I want to I also uh, uh, invite like design colleagues, what, what do you need to make this work happen for you? Um, but that may or may not be what you're already responding to, Edward. But include it in there. What do, what do you need to make this all happen?
7: Yeah, well, I think um, a lot of, um, I mean, just like regular, just design itself, it's, it's a lot like a muscle, like you get better at it by doing it, um, and we all here have like a lot of collective knowledge on it, um, but I think what the main big missing piece is, at least how our theaters work, is an extremely hierarchical structure. Mm -hmm. And, um, and is, is the buy-in from on high is, is going to the artistic leadership and barring that also like the production manager and going to them and saying like, this is why this should be important to your organization. Because once they're on board, they can ask their production manager who can ask their department heads. What, what does it actually mean to work in this way? Does it mean hiring another person, keeping our, um, uh, because it, it often is not uh, more in terms of uh, material costs, but those costs get transferred into labor, into transportation. Um, and so one of the things that uh, we're trying to do in the sustainability, uh, sustainable production toolkit, uh, but still have more to go. And would love to hear some other ideas about is like how to uh, make the case. Um, so something that I'm very interested in, I've talked to a couple of, um, just literally a couple a a development uh, person at the public theater and uh, also one at chicago opera theater i believe um is to try and make the the case that um uh not only from like a mission standpoint but like from a development standpoint the idea of like a sustainability grant so we, we do not have the luxury of, of hoping for wonderful government support for this, uh, but there is a, a legitimate positive history of uh, philanthropy in the US despite all of our faults. And so to target people who are both interested in having an impact on the arts and on sustainability, I think is like a way to try and inspire artistic directors to get people to crunch the numbers on how to make it uh, but maybe I'm going a little bit too far, but I, I think the main stumbling block is like people on the ground, you know, it's wonderful that uh, you know, we have designers and a scene shop head here. We'll, we'll learn how to do it with, uh, you know, resources being put up by your many organizations, by mm-hmm. uh, uh, the organizations that we're trying to form in the U.S. But it's, uh, we need uh, the people who ultimately hold the purse strings to invest in it.
4: Definitely, just, uh, yeah, go for it. Uh, to what I think one of the, I was listening to Paul talk, and I think one of the things that's interesting about what we, what we can do right now, and while I agree that we as practitioners need more time, and yes, we would need more money, but I think we all know that those are slow and uh, scarce resources. <laughs> um, and so working with what we can do now, and I, I like that what Paul was talking about with the forward, the notion that you, you know, buy some rechargeable batteries or you, you save a stock. And that's what I started doing many years ago. And like, even with, you know, the limited resources and acknowledging there's a hierarchy of, you know, but, you know, like I can work with a designer as a fabricator to make a set that the producers and the directors don't know is sustainable. They don't need, I mean, yes, it would be great if they were on board and yes, it would be great if we if, but they don't need to know. We can figure it out the designer makes choices and walks in the door and says, I really want this to be sustainable. And we go, okay, well, this is how we're good. What can we do? But we need to be told that and we need to know that that's important. um, Because then we can work with that. Right. So I think the Mm -hmm. first, probably the most important thing that needs to be communicated is communication. Like if that's a value that you want to bring to it, and I'm going to raise something that, um, you know, I mentioned when we spoke on this uh, CATC conference, which is, is that like people, like if you're a freelancer or you know, yes, I run my own shop, but I get hired essentially by project, we're hired because we have skills and we have knowledge. And if we're bringing that to the table, that's what they want from us, mm-hmm. right? Like, so you bring those values to the table with you and you just basically say you're a hire me, this is what I'm bringing to the table. And if, at some point, we're all gonna say, look, if you don't wanna work in a sustainable manner, don't hire me, right? That's basically what we have to start saying. And then people are gonna go, I really wanna work with Edward or Ken or you know or Paul or whoever, and they're gonna say, great, that means I have to work in a sustainable manner. And there's ways that you can do it. You can like say, I'm gonna only reuse stock flats. Uh, you know, I mean, Everybody here in Vancouver is, you know, is very familiar with Studio 58. And there was a fellow who was a TD there and he, his shop was full of stuff. And he, you know, he would spend $300 for a student show, but have it look huge. And he just did that. I mean, he was a known and inveterate scrounger and supporter, and save and all those kinds of things. And yes, in that example, he had, he had a big shop that was paid for by the university. You know, there's, you know, there's lots of complications to that model but it's at least a way that he can do it he did that because he had those values he had those values 25 30 years ago long before it was vogue or people even discussed this kind of stuff and so he just brought it and made it part of his practice he influenced a huge number of students who are now professionals who now bring those values into their practice So that's like one of the ways that we I think we need to start working with what we have now as opposed to sort of talking about things that we don't have but really wish we could have in the future. That's what I would say. So like that's what I think we need to be saying.
9: This is what is the now? Here's the now. Let's work with what we got, because that'll influence the future. Just to just to underscore I I think what what you're talking about about the communication. I I I have tried in the past. I tried to create a um, you know, as sustainable a set as I could. And I didn't really speak to the, the um, uh, production department about it, but I decided this is going to be a set that was going to be made out of almost exclusively schedule 40 pipe. So the kind of thing that was going to be up in the grid anyways, like a theater is going to find other uses for it. It's not going to end up in the bin. Um, And so I designed that set. And then the next time I came back to the theater, I was like, okay, I'm going to do the same thing again. And I know they've already got it in stock. But they'd cut it all up. They'd cut it up into tiny pieces and it was basically unusable anymore, except you know, it maybe got used on one more production somewhere and, and, and then it was not functional. And I remember being so disappointed, but I mean, I didn't tell them that that was my, my hope moving forward. Right. It was just the thing that I'd hoped would happen with it. So, you but know- you also They had a
4: value to that pipe. Like yeah. They 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 used it for something else. So rather yeah. than going okay, I'm going to use a bunch of you know two by twos that are going to have no value
9: for anything else. They you did pay it forward because it probably went into yeah. the
4: Did it,
9: absolutely, you know. absolutely. I don't think it was worthless. I think it, it. But it is this idea that if you're trying to do it on your own, exactly, uh, you're you not going to get that far.
6: We're we're in a larger system, yeah. uh, L- uh, Lauren. I've been saying uh, it looks like you keep. Tipping towards, perhaps, uh, towards throwing something out there.
3: Well, I definitely agree with what everyone said so far, especially in terms of time, and also communication, because I think um, I've had the same, you know, similar experiences you're describing, Ken, in terms of, um, you know, trying to make impact um, by myself. But um, I think just as a small example, as speaking as a designer also having um an inventory and it's like well in advance of what's in their costume stock would really make a big difference um for me in terms of considering reuse just earlier earlier in the process
6: i know that that's one of the things that has come up a a couple times. is one of the questions that we had before things started and not necessarily we have to completely go down this route but also uh, throwing out the idea that there's the time that we need as designers or anybody within the process to be able to figure out, especially if we're changing our process. But we also have to figure out a way for, like, to extend the lifetime, like, to keep the material out. So, uh, like, to keep it out of a waste stream so that there's a place to put it. Elia, you mentioned, like, having access to um, facilities and a large shop and, uh, and, And um, places to put things um, while you're processing them and I know through through our work when we when I was in Los Angeles that um, for a number of years there was a a shared storage facility that was meant to be turned into a shop and the entire idea there was to, like, to temper, like put something into material purgatory. as well. Uh, Michelle, I know that like Triga has also attempted to do this with like maintaining like a stock as a collective of designers, also maintaining a stock that you agreed to to try and also um, do it as independently as possible. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how Trigo works and has worked as a, as a collective with, with three people and then associates?
5: Sure. Um, I just want to respond to what you said about the stock. I was I was dying to chime in um, that I think that it's really important to acknowledge what we already do well in theater, which is our resourcefulness. And, you know, most theaters are usually pretty good at holding on to things and trying to find long lives and value in things. Um, but we do need to work on formalizing that sharing in our industry um, mm-hmm. in that way that you described. Um, so in our modest way, uh, so Triga, which is a collective of three designers um, started, we combined our stock And we tried to offer it for free or cheap to our community. Um, We have uh, significantly downsized as a company due to COVID, which is kind of a shame. And we've had to like sort of find future lives for our stock in a different way because we can't actually just hold things right now. Um, But it's something that I really grieve and regret um, that we, we couldn't be that, that central hub. But I think that, um, the more that we can work towards that model of, you know, formalizing how we share beyond just Facebook groups and beyond just, beyond just these sort of personal relationships we form, which are, I think are very valuable, um, the better. Um, yeah, that's a,
6: that's, that's a, that's a big trick. that that i've seen that every sort of community seems to organize themselves in different ways uh when i was in los angeles we were mainly organized through a yahoo group now that i'm in toronto it's mainly a facebook group and there's been attempts to like move that into its own like sharing infrastructure but then it never reaches critical mass that it always seems to need to exist within the larger framework that people can sort of float in and out of it um because we don't really have time to to focus on it um and mm-hmm. I think that's going to continue to be a, a challenge. I did want to, like, there's been a very exciting conversation in our, like, side chat. So there's, like, this back channel conversation that's happening um, that is related to something that I know that's happened. With, like, Triga has been working on as well. So w- while you're talking about the model of Triga, this idea of, of, of how we actually bring this into the contract thing that we have, like, we put it together as so yes. an agreement. How, is, how has Triga done that? And then I'm going to, um, uh, like how would people feel about a green contract? Everybody seems excited. In the yes,
5: I'm excited about this. Um, I, I just think that asking for commitment and contractual obligation from the theater company and from all parties involved on a project, um, and if you can get them to commit to a, a goal towards ecological design or towards emissions reduction, that is, I mean, that's something that I'm, want, I'm working towards. The way that I've been able to do it in the past, and um, this is just even within the last season, was I introduced an eco-design addendum to my contracts that I signed as Triga, which essentially stated that we would be working from an ecological design perspective. And what that meant was that we are going to um, prioritize um, sourcing like reused materials. We're going to s- source labor locally, if possible. Um, And we're going to plan for deconstruction plans and end of life. So items will either be designed for sort of long future lives, or they will be designed so that they can be deconstructed and passed on in some way, whether that's um, by composting, or it's another stream of use. Um, And that I just put together sort of a very simple addendum and companies seem very open and receptive to it and I had a lot of people asking me for the template. Um, I don't think it's at the level of specificity that I would love and um, I think there is an issue right now in our you know Canadian theatre ecology is that a lot of companies don't really have a a real sense of their um, carbon footprint as a company. They don't have a sense of where their worst impacts are coming from and also necessarily where their best impacts are coming from which Sometimes are intangible, so my dream is that we could have some tools in place, sort of similar to the uh, carbon calculators that Julie's Bicycle provides in the UK, so that we can we can, as you know, uh, an industry, have a better sense of like where we need to do better. Um, in that regard, so that we can put these really sort of concrete goals to a livable future in the contracts. But so far, I have not had someone, I mean, it's, it's early days for this initiative for me to approach contracts with that negotiation up front. But so far, it's been completely receptive, and I haven't had anyone say no.
6: Yeah. What, what, from the various perspectives that we have around here, um, especially those dealing with contracts, um, what, what would you imagine would go into? that contract? Like how specific would it get? Cause sometimes as someone who has helped to write ADC contracts in the past, like it can get pretty granular. Um, in- far as what we're looking at. So yeah. What, is, what is a green what does a green design contract look like? Uh-huh. You can talk about it as a, as a designer or an engager of designers.
9: Uh, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a really hard question. Uh-huh. I think, um, uh, and I think at this point, you know, actually, I, I will say this: that I think uh, even a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, I would have said, "I don't think you can go." I don't think you can have a general contract. That I think it needs to be theater by theater, and they each need to address like what are they, what is their capacity to to uh, accommodate a, a carbon uh, budget or, or you know, whatever the green initiative is. But I know that, um, although I don't know it in detail, I know that Pact has just put. Uh, their strategic plan forward mm-hmm. for the next coming, for the coming years. And, and uh, their carbon, uh, carbon footprint, their, like greening theater is a big part of uh, that plan. Yeah. Leadership so,
6: priority three in, the, yeah, in their strategic so, plan.
9: So I do think that there is maybe some space to open that conversation and figure out, well, how do we not just move as, uh, as uh, single theaters, but how do we move as a larger entity Uh, as a as a nation uh, towards something more green. And, you know, that's, uh, I don't know, it's a big, big question. Uh, How do we get all companies on board with this? But, um, you know, I I think starting these conversations and looking to the companies that are already doing it is, is a good place to start
6: yeah and 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 not to not to pull away from it looked like a couple of more people wanted to jump on, on there um Uh, but I I think it's worth highlighting that, you know, oftentimes we perceive that we may run up against resistance. And as as you said, like, maybe we'd have to go contract by contract, but then it also, like, the conversation is happening in ways, like, our systems are set up in the way that we produce theater. Like, our infrastructure is set up in a way that we don't have these conversations about how all the collaborators work together, and that can sometimes um, hold us back a little bit.
4: I, again I go back to what I said during the mm-hmm. fact conference like sustainable productions can actually be cheaper um, mm-hmm. which is so I don't necessarily like yes I agree with Ken I think it, it would be hard to do uh, you know do a blanket clause across every DC contract that says it has to be green um, and and maybe not necessarily appropriate but uh, I mean one of the things that I do whenever someone You know, we we put a value to the cost of disposing of a set, Hmm. right? And if so, if there's a green set, that's going to that's you know potentially going to eliminate you know five hundred dollars out of the cost of the set, right? So, like that's real money that could be applied towards sustainable productions. Or you know, if you start going okay, if you start evaluating um, the cost you know, or both the sustainable cost as well as the real cost of driving around picking up all these rentals or doing all this kind of stuff. There's other ways that you can sort of go, okay, well, I'm not going to spend that money, but I'm actually going to apply it to what I'm going to be putting on stage. Um, so, you know, those are just, I mean, they're they're very pragmatic. They're also very real. They're, they're um, something that you can bring into what you're doing within the hierarchies that you're having to work with um, without having to go and, and sort of enact... Sort of huge systemic change that is kind of daunting to look at. Um, so I, you know, I think really trying to bring it back to what every individual can do within their very control immediately, um, and then I think all of those little steps actually start adding up to a lot. And while we're doing that, we're starting to change the way people um, do and practice. Mm-hmm. You know,
6: yeah, Kendra.
1: Um. I heard Andrea Reimer, who's a green politician and also scholar, um, speak a while ago, and she was talking about the COVID pause as this sort of zero gravity moment where we have lost the rules of the world that we used to have and the things we held on to. And then we're just sort of floating and we don't know what the territory will be while where we land. And I think that this kind of connects for me with the idea of green recovery. How can we set ourselves up so that when we land, we're in a, in a greener uh, environment in, in our theaters? And I think that part of that presents some opportunities during the COVID pause. Different organizations and in in these nations that we have here are going to be very different. But in the Canadian context, there are companies on operating funding who cannot fulfill their seasons. And what could they do? And we all feel this enormous... um, Need to help our artists, to put money in the hands of our artists. So, can we do things like digitize our inventories and make them shareable across our communities? Um, that's people power to do that. And that could have an incredible um, ability for us to reuse stuff. We know where it is, we know what it is, we know what shape it's in, and we know who's got what. Um, and also, the idea um, we were speaking with a costume designer from Bard and the Beach who had completely designed a show that was never built because of COVID. What about paying that artist to just redesign for that same show, which may never happen, but the process of redesigning and doing a green design is all of that research into what, how do you source it? What, How do you account for travel? How do you do carbon budgeting? How does it shift the design? Does it shift money from materials into human resources? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what kind of cost? Uh, Um, what are the real costs when you look at it in the end. I think that using this COVID pause to do those kinds of things is really actionable within Canadian theater and the sort of operating monies that people have to justify. And in our national context, Canada council is going to be asking for you to be telling them what's happening um, in a green way in your theater where is your carbon consciousness in your theater so this is an investment in your future funding as well and there's a lot of leverage to be had with what your funders want you to do
6: it's it's interesting because when you when you talk about it that way uh, so like essentially here a lot of the the um the rationale behind like a green new deal right around retraining people for being able to like participate in a, in a green recovery and and having the skills to do that and I realized that I had not thought about that in terms of like, well, why aren't we doing that within like those of us who are working in live performance uh, that are on pause and thinking about how we can recover in that way. I think there's, there's also an interesting uh, there's a, there's a question that is sort of how that's, that's very like direct as someone who has uh, this is coming to you, Logan, as someone who is like a lot of COVID you've been on contract to assist with on lighting for shows that haven't happened. What have you done during this time? It doesn't even have to be sustainable, but what have you done? What have you done during this, this, this period where the shows that you would normally be supporting aren't happening?
8: Um, hmm. I have done a lot of nothing is the worst part of it. Um, like, it's, it's, I think there was, at the beginning of it, there was the, you know, hope that, you know, this would be short, we'd find a way, things would come back. So I think there was, at the beginning, there was a lot of kind of like, you know, continue small things, um, but then it, it kind of, once the, the kind of heaviness of everything really had in your, everyone realized you know, there's, there's not going to be a 2020 season. Um, Let's plan for next year. Um, It's been, been fairly stagnant. Uh, It's been a lot of, I guess, like reevaluing like, my own place as a designer uh, and just, like, personal stuff. Um, But I did have, in terms of, like, you know, theaters uh, doing something towards sustainability, it was just a, Like this week I was over with the the national ballet school in Toronto. And so they've recently, um, upgraded their, their entire site. It was Mm -hmm. uh, something they had to do, uh, as the units were incredibly old and drew a lot of power and also were just like, like falling apart. Um, and so they moved over to, to led fixtures, um, and, you know, through granting and stuff, uh, got this covered, I don't know to what extent, but uh, a very interesting thing with the whole process of it was, like, the entire thing had to be documented uh, mm-hmm. to show that, like, we've they've looked into, you know, properly disposing of it uh, and how to recycle these fixtures, what can be done with, you know, things, um, and then kind of, like, what is the the benefit of now this this new technology in there and that like you know i think each the comparison is like each fixture and there's less of them i think is now a 171 watt fixture whereas each fixture before had a like 1000 watt light bulb in it
2: yeah this is my Uh, moment this is
8: my moment, yeah. my, my
2: watson once moment. <laughs> I know you've been waiting; you've been holding in the
6: background there. I didn't; it wasn't planned. I knew we'd get there somehow. Logan, I'll
2: pay you after.
6: But <laughs> uh, I mean, here we're ta- here we're, we're highlighting the necessary the necessary labor that's actually going into a transition for designers to be able to work in the sustainable future in a very like practical way. Before, Paul, I'm not going to steal your thunder, uh, but I just did to a, a, a offer. Uh, offer that like last summer pre-COVID throughout the various venues at York we went through a process where it's like we had to like there are things that were just failing so they had to be replaced and then we went through a process of cascading fixtures so over the entire overhaul ended up with like an energy draw of um, less than 90% and had this question of like where is everything going to go so it was like let's only get rid of things that are not fixable not usable again that we can't get the lamps for so that like we couldn't like they're just sitting there um and making sure they're disposed of properly but then taking everything else and it's not like let's get rid of this thing and replace it with something else that's like let's find let's let's work our way down the chain so that like we're we have some level of investment and then some level of like strategic reuse and it actually became a much more significant project like a larger project over course and if we did that as a community of thinking about strategically where everything was like the the like the impact is actually much larger than if we'd just been like yeah we're just going to replace that light with this light
2: Paul kilowatts, yes.
6: kilowatt hours yes Go for it.
2: <laughs> so uh, what I think what Logan's talking about uh, um, in Ontario, there's a program called Save on Energy um, that's run by uh, Ontario Hydro, uh, provincial hydro company um which which,
6: sorry for our uh, for our friends in the u.s we refer to it as hydro but it's the power company the the power (laughs) This confused me for months after my
2: arrival (laughs) although a a lot of our a lot of our power is generated by hydro in in ontario and quebec so you know at least at least we have something to fall back on um uh, uh and they're typically they're ontario like it's it's one utility for an entire province. Um, so it's not a whole different kilometer of things. But they, the general idea is that um, they want to reduce two things. One is your overall energy consumption, your kilowatt hours. Um, and so that's, uh, if you have a thousand watt light bulb and you leave it on for an hour, that's a kilowatt hour. And then you you, you can multiply divide it um, as you go along from there. Um, the other thing that they want to reduce is, is power draw, which is watts. So your thousand watt light bulb uh, requires a thousand watts of generation somewhere. So if you have 120 kilowatts of power of lights, then they need there needs to be 120 kilowatts of generation somewhere. And as we grow uh, and use more energy, and more power, um, particularly more power, that the, the uh, eventually we're going to run out of capacity in the system. And so we, hydro, uh, in order to avoid building new power plants to pick up this excess demand, um, has come up with this this rebate system where they will pay you either based on a Uh, And they do a calculation based on both your uh, your kilowatt reduction and your kilowatt hours over annual kilowatt hour reduction, and whichever pays you more, whichever formula pays you more will pay you pay you out. And it's also based on your schedule of use. So if you're in an office building, you know, like eight to six or something, all of your lights are on uh, Monday to Friday. Which is a lot different than us where we're using stage lights for, you know, a couple of weeks at a time, 25% of them on at full equivalent. And then we're doing we're, we have them depending on the theater. They're only running for a couple hours at a time. And so uh, Hydro pays it's something like $400 per kilowatt uh, That you can reduce um, so one of the things that we've done, and this is something that I think we can do during the COVID COVID pause uh, as a practical thing, is uh, is capital projects, and there is there is money out there for capital projects, uh, and further incentives as well. Is look at and the process we went through was they said okay we need to replace some old lights they're getting old we you know we want to replace them there's LEDs out you know sea changers was a thing. Um, and and look at okay so we can go from these 1k uh, ellipsoidals down to 575 watt source fours or we can go to 161 watt source four LEDs and what we found was through consulting with with uh, lighting designers who came through the building a lot um, we we did a trial of six source four LEDs and um, and found that we we could replace multiple fixtures with one fixture. And so when you're looking at rebates and you're looking at, and, and ultimately the rebate is just an incentive, but, but from an ecological standpoint, it means that you're reducing your power draw, you're reducing your carbon footprint on an ongoing basis. And so we were able to reduce by, we wouldn't replace fixtures one-to-one with an LED. Um, because you can hang one light and have it do three tip colors uh, mm-hmm. for one area. And so if you add an IQ onto that, then all of a sudden you have more options and an iris and a gobel rotator. And, and so um so suddenly you can do a gobel wash, a three-color gobel wash or four-color gobel wash with with like nine lights or whatever it is, right? Um so that that reducing those numbers is is uh is something that's very possible and reduces the capital replacement costs, reduces the amount of time that it takes to hang a plot. Um, All, like the number, if you're in a fly house, uh, the number of bricks you have to load per pipe, um, all all of those things. So you've you've got, like Elia was saying, is that you can do a show more sustainably uh, that is cheaper in the end. Um, And even if you don't, even if you aren't applying for this, uh, for the Save on Energy program, you can go in and you can look and you can say um, uh, it'll tell you what your payback period is for with and without the incentive. And invariably, it's less than five years from from incentive and energy savings, and um, might be as much as seven years or something without without the uh, uh, without the incentive. But it's not a long time. Uh, especially yeah. given warranties on LED fixtures, it's going up to ten years now, something like that. So it's it's not um, it's it's it, it's an easy thing and it's low hanging fruit. The yeah. other The other thing I do want to I did want to make sure that that I mentioned was um, uh, we talked a little bit about the and the last one about. Uh, getting actual numbers and to, and putting numbers to things and saying like what is the actual impact of making this particular change? Mm-hmm. Um, because there we can spend a lot of time um, doing green theater um, that that looks really good but actually doesn't have a major impact. Or we could do things like you know switch to low flush toilets and. You know, there there are certain things that are uh, easy to do and have major impacts, and there are things that are hard to do and have little impact, but seem like they have a greater impact because they're harder to do. And so, what I think we don't have right now is a really clear guide to what are those low, what are those high impacts uh, and low effort things. And and I think Laura and uh, Lauren and, and everybody were working on that, and as as well and, and have, have generated some pretty great things. But I think we can continue to, to, uh, to promote those kinds of guides. Um, and and that, that, that's really where we should start, is start with the things that have the most impact.
6: Yeah, it's, um, I wanted to throw out a couple of uh, references and then I'm going to bring it back to Lauren and Edward to talk about the Sustainable Production Toolkit. Um, uh, one is, uh, the, the, you mentioned uh, capacity and measurement. Um, the CSPA did like a three-year project with the Hillside Festival, which is a three-day music festival in Guelph, Ontario. And they had done so much like uh, had so many environmental initiatives that they had already done but had not necessarily looked at how that changed their overall environmental impact like they just hadn't studied it but were things that were good that at the point at which he started the study it's like the things that you could do are all going to be hard because you've done a lot of these things and, but we also can't prove like how much work that you've actually accomplished because we just don't know where you started. Like your baseline is starting at a place where we're looking at reductions. And so when you start to have these conversations about, especially around incentives, is that like making sure that you're starting from a place, not to say like, hold off on doing change, but to say like, let's figure out where you're changing from so that you can celebrate those successes. Um, And another thing that in in talking about, um, because it sounds not dissimilar from this project we went through through the York spaces, because we took advantage of the same sort of incentives and rebates insofar as rethinking things, is that um, when you start looking at that, we also, we went down from like our backlight system and our our large theater went down from like two single kilowatt fixtures and a color scroller. So over 2000 uh, watts of draw to one 171 watt LED fixture. And then other things that were, as efficiency doing went to other places um, and that the idea that like there's the there's the embedded energy, there's the impact of having something new, which is significant, but balancing having a new light versus someone having to build a new power plant, like starting to think about how our impacts happen outside of the systems that we're working in as well. Um, uh because you know a lot of the research that we've seen this that julie's bicycle has done and that we've done with the cspa is like the significant contribution of like audience transportation and that's like actually sometimes like on hillside it's like 97 percent of their emissions were from people coming to the festival and so it was like well how do we a address that and then also like oh well actually this is what art's really good at is talking to audiences that's why they're engaging with it so how do we leverage what we're already really good at um, for the places where we can actually have really significant and measurable outcomes and we wouldn't have known that if we hadn't had like nearly a decade of data where it's like oh we should be focusing on this this high impact area that we've previously been ignoring because we're trying to keep it in the building um and last thing on the power reduction is also um the loading on hvac systems Um, And that it's, you have nearly, um, I think someone told me and I haven't verified it, but somebody, uh, a theatrical consultant told me that when they've been doing these projects, they've seen that there's an equal reduction in power consumption from the HVACs as there is from the lighting.
2: Because incandescent lights are 90 something percent
6: heat. Heat, yes.
7: I I want to throw in a plug for actually probably where you got that from. So it it sounds like uh, your your academic institution, Ian, is so uh, uh, lucky to have you on board. And Paul, uh, same with your theater. I just did want to put in a plug for, uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, but Curtis Um, Kasvang, who works with uh, uh, Theater uh, Consultants Collaborative. Um, and they are not a, a purely sustainable, um, uh, consultancy, but he has a special passion for that designing, uh, lighting systems. And, uh, I really love a lot of things that you said, Paul, in terms of, um, and our exact recommendations that he made, uh, as well about, um, people sort of being invested by you getting a ho- couple different instruments to test, uh, to make sure your staff is, is really on board with it. And a couple of like your frequent, uh, uh, usual suspect designers um and uh yeah i just wanted to 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 put his information out there for people to add to their resource bank
6: curtis is great before you mute yourself edward though i wanted to uh that that was a lead into load a lot of information before we sort of jump to what what's in the sustainable production toolkit um i can uh
7: well I mean it's essentially we broke down by department um starting with uh again like I said uh, at the beginning like the the buy in from uh from artistic but uh through all of the production departments and also adding in um, uh, a tr- a section on travel, a section for company management, a section for development um, uh basic uh some low hanging fruit and some uh larger picture uh just tangible tools for people to use you know one of the things that comes out of many panels like this is like people just don't know where to start and the idea is that you know we've uh created this uh this pdf that is is where to start for a lot of people um what did i miss Lauren? in the short short version
3: in the short version uh one of the things also included that uh sandra goldmark and michael santa have developed at barnard um is assigning a value to existing stock and tracking material use in that way so they know um, how much they're saving with reuse. And they can track reuse as closely as they can um, new items that they have to purchase uh, to supplement their goal of 50% reuse, uh, 50% new. And we're hoping to kind of continue to develop mechanisms for tracking. So. Companies can assess their impact in really quantifiable ways like we were discussing. so that's something we're continuing to explore and, and um, might be doing as part of a pilot program with a, a small numbers of of universities and nonprofit leaders. but again, I think um, I think that what that might look like is something that's adaptive though, depending on again what a what kind of capacity an organization has, how much labor, how much money, how much time. I think it's not a, you know, one size fits all um, solution, but it's really, you know, what we're trying to create is a starting point with this template that can be used in different ways, depending on um, where the company's at and where people are at.
6: Yeah, I think that's one of the consistent challenges that that we've seen. Sorry, Edward, I sort of jumped on top of you there.
7: No, I mean, um, uh, yes. And I get, I mean, the pie in the sky idea would be to create, um, uh, something along the lines of Julie's bicycle or, or something similar to architectural lead scoring. Now that said, that is not, you know, that is, uh, if the grants go through essentially like, uh, but I mean, the, the idea is that we, we, uh, we would love there, there is certainly room for just what you were doing, trying to adapt Julie's bicycle for the different power generation in uh, Canada. I think the industry could benefit from uh, some sort of lead scoring that said, we, we do not currently uh, have all of the expertise needed for that, but that is, that is a pie in the sky, uh, long-term goal for sure.
3: Something to just add on to that. Um... Also something we're looking at just as a source of inspiration is the, um, the United Nations Global Compact, in partnership with uh, B-Lab, benefit corporations, have developed a free online um, platform for SDG-focused impact management. Um, so I, you know, I really like the idea of tying what we're, what we're doing in theater, what we're doing as artists, kind of to larger global goals and seeing how that aligns so that's something we're kind of looking at and exploring too to see how that could function within a theater organization
6: yeah and you're both uh, um as mentioned in your bios at the top of the of the show you're both members of 829 Mm
0: -hmm.
6: um how how within within that sort of labor dynamic i mean one of the one of the distinctions uh oh there's a whole there's a whole way I'm la- I'm looking at Ken and laughing because there's a whole conversation that's happening on this side um, that um, we don't have time to completely, but. As it stands right now, the ADC is a professional association. It is not a union, but it does collective bargaining on behalf of its members. Right. Um, that's a simpler way that I'll put it. Um, in a different like labor scenario and with a much larger membership base, how how has this conversation
7: existed within your your union? The embarrassing answer is that <laughs> it's it's not really part of the conversation. Um, uh, that isn't to say that, I mean, whenever we've, like, we presented at, uh, some, uh, wing space salons or through the BGA, we have overwhelmingly positive support from members who have attended, but, um, it is not, uh, um, sort of, unfortunately, especially right now, uh, the COVID crisis corresponded with a number of, uh, scheduled renegotiations of contracts. Including for like the Metropolitan Opera, um, and uh, I think also off Broadway. So they are fighting tooth and nail just to keep any sort of living wage for any of us right now. Um, But I I have hopes for, I have a very good relationship with uh, Carl Mueller, uh, head of live performance, um, and other members of the union. I, I think long term, that's why I'm very eager to see. Um, what uh, if, if Michelle would be kind enough to share her contract writer information uh, that I could eventually go to the union with that and see if they're interested in incorporating any language I'm sure I'll get a hard no to begin with but uh, <laughs> a lot of what I see as are, is like planting the, the seed so that also like the next person who comes along doesn't get as 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 strong a negative response as I get so, so I wish I could paint a more positive picture than that but um, well, one thing uh, I'll add a, oh Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I'll, just
3: going to say one thing. I would add on to that. Even though um, United Scenic Artists is not, um, you know, while there's no committee currently, there is. I know the International is forming international green committees um, and starting to build um, locals with representatives. So I think there's a there's a movement afoot, um, and I think you know if we could connect with that and connect with more people in USA 829, there would be a possibility to align those efforts but what Edward so. said is true as well <laughs> <laughs> there are
7: possibilities take, take, take Lauren's more, more positive right <laughs> it's
6: on a, on a, on how, you, how you observe this class um, I did want to uh, answer live a question that came up from the chat that has been shared with me um, in case other people find it useful um, that came from somebody watching uh, on the YouTube which is uh, around the rebates and whether or not they take into account different intensities and I know that within the incentives that we got at york in our process that we came up with a um a, a co- like a, a um a conversion factor based off of expected use um so that we weren't just doing connected load but we were doing like a modified version we don't have exact sub metering available but um there was modification based off of how much we actually thought that the in use uh for it I'm gonna jump back. We can talk about like, and that that gets into the difference between kilowatts and kilowatt hours again, like yep, whether go, not it's capacity uh, or that. Um, yeah. That's if you take anything else away. Um, I wanted to join, uh, jump to uh, uh, um, a, like turning around something that we talked about uh, earlier on, um, insofar so far as like what we each sort of thought that we might need to uh, to to push forward, but also what sort of what sort of either uh community-wide or with our collaborators like how do you think that we sh- need to support um others who have not quite gotten to the to this place with us quite yet like where do you see
2: where that what sort of work needs to happen to support people with this transition i have something really quick to to, to mention on this is that i think um from my point of from my my standpoint I think the thing that has prevented me most from pushing harder for sustainability and design and production is the fear that sustainable designs are uh, inherently less interesting to audiences and directors and audiences. Um, and I know that's not true, but the fear that. And the, the mindset that we're just pulling from stock, like a, we're just building a whole bunch of box sets now and it's going to be boring and absolutely not true. And I, like, I don't know why I had not realized this before now, but I think that's what's etched into my mind and it's been really hard to let go of. So I, I throw that out there for further discussion. But.
5: Oh, I totally relate to what you're saying. I, I've, personally feel like eco design is considered fringe because there's a lot of aesthetics associated with the green movement and it just reminds people of kale and oatmeal and granola and and people think it's not highly versatile and I that's one of Triga's goals is to sort of dispel the myth that uh ecological design or eco cannot be highly specific and we are hoping for our our design contribution to be as like design dramaturges so that you know all the material choices we make are like so thoroughly integrated into the art itself that that the impression is it could be not it could uh, have not been otherwise as opposed to well they just slapped some plants on top of it um but uh, ian in response to your last provocation um i would say you know obviously some foundational reading and education will be helpful for everyone in all levels of our industry but ecostagepledge.com has these really great pledge points that just provoke um, uh, ecological thinking at every stage of the creative process. And it's a really short document, and it's a pledge that theaters can choose to um, put on their website and choose to incorporate in their work as a sort of set of values. But I think it's a great starting place in order to just get that get the uh, train of thought happening um, artistically and then in terms of production, -production, pre-production, post-production, it's just a really great starting place. So I'm plugging that, which is not my initiative at all. I just think it's a brilliant resource. I wanna
1: jump in um, on the issue that Paul brought up about the, the, the fear of limits that we might have to take on as artists if we engage with sustainable design principles. And the way that I would go about it um, is to actually say that I think um, largely the people working in theater are aware of the climate situation. And when you are designing a non-sustainable um, design, uh, there's a level of conflict in you between that climate reality that we are living in, that we, have, we are not on target and, um, and bad stuff is coming. Uh, in our lifetime and in our children's lifetime, that you're actually not enjoying creating unsustainable design. And that that the joy of creating something that your values are behind, that doesn't create two uh, realities in your world, but actually a consistent reality that you're acting within is terrific. Canadian doctors now, if you go to them with climate anxiety or climate grief, they prescribe climate action. That is what cures that. So if we can take on climate action within the realms of our theaters, we are going to feel better and our audiences are going to feel better. So there's um, there's a lot of great reasons uh, to counteract that fear, which I have had to at moments. The other thing that I wanted to say, though, is um, that there is a danger in just believing that the focus on individual change, even within our organizations, is enough in this climate moment. And I read somewhere uh, looking at individual that you should put 20% focus on your individual actions for reducing your carbon footprint. You wash out your plastic bags and do all those things. But you should put 80% of your focus on systemic change. And I just wanted to widen the conversation and the lens of this conversation a little just to say that the work that I've been doing with the other people who are telling the climate narrative in our society, So our environmental organizations, our scientists, our journalists, um, our educational institutions are begging for artists to get involved in helping audiences, what they call citizenry, engage in the climate conversation because it is so overwhelming right now and people are so frozen in their climate anxiety and climate grief that they cannot act. And if we have to do this thing of mobilizing our society Um, The artists can do a lot because we know how to bring people into hard places. We know how to take them into tragedy. We know how to build the trust. We have the tools of delight and, and color and magic and all of those things that we do. And if we can apply those tools with these other friends who are working in the climate sector, there's a real opportunity to get through to people. And I just want to tell you in the conversations and the conferences that I'm at, people are begging me, tell me, give me an artist, please give me an artist, connect someone. So I know if people are saying that to me, that that, that there are people in your communities that are saying that. And that is something our, organ, our that our theater organizations can do, is on every show, they can partner with local environmental organizations or the faculty of the environment at the university in your town or whatever it is so that you're building those relationships to tell the stories together for for solutionary outcomes
6: i might point to just being able to add to the bibliography that we've been collecting through this um, the cultural adaptation work that creative carbon scotland has been doing too that they've been doing a two-year project about embedding artists within organizations to manage climate uh to like adaptation organizationally and societally and use it like leveraging exactly what you're talking about kendra um and being able to look at the impacts of that um uh scientifically uh and also uh, uh before um because a number of great resources i want to remind people that we've um talked about language coming out of Triga. Uh, the only animal has language and the way uh, you mentioned at one point, Kendra, there's the Eco Stage Pledge, uh, which Michelle just mentioned um, and is great and recently reinvigorated. They've got a great new team behind it. And also that Julie's Bicycle, um, which is a great resource, uh, has uh, a green writer's template that uh, various artists, it's a little bit more geared towards touring artists, um, but is something that uh, is worth taking a look at. And also a lot of the best practices guides and various types of guides that are in the resource sections of the Broadway Green Alliance and um, the CSPA's website at sustainablepractice.org in the tools and resources section. Like there's a lot of different places to start pulling in things if you're looking for the language and things like that. I just want to put those resources out there because uh, I also want to sort of like move us towards a conclusion. Because um, I know, because I, I do talk about this um, forever, but in this, in continuing in this, in this sense of support, this provocation of support, um, what do you? How how do you feel like somebody? How how are we going to pull somebody in? How um, for somebody who's who's feeling a little bit like everybody here has been involved in initiatives in some sort of way, whether internally, um, across a community, but say we have, uh, somebody, uh, who's tuning in, who is interested in this, but just hasn't had the benefit of being part of the conversation quite yet. Um, what, what do you offer them as a way what's what's the first thing that you want them to do how can you support them into crossing the threshold and then i get into all these like really really dark metaphors about crossing the river sticks
9: um i think one of the things that i immediately think of is that there's a uh, as certainly as designers we we uh like to think of our work as being dramaturgical and i think We're kind of getting to the point where if you aren't, if your work is not sustainable, then your dramaturgy is saying something about the show that you uh, may not want it to. Like I do, I I do begin to think that if you are uh, as a designer creating something that's unsustainable, that that's commentary on your show it's be it's or at least it's being read that way now increasingly so and and I don't think maybe by that many people, but I think that that is something that is beginning to happen and is only going to grow and so I think that there's a a bit of an inevitability that in it, when you're talking with somebody i i I don't mean that to to sound as forceful as uh maybe it does, but I do think that there is something that there are social uh uh norms that we're we're beginning to understand in a different way or that are shifting and and so what we're putting on stage is the way that that it's read is is changing and I think if you're not aware of that as a de, as a designer, then you are going to be left behind and you're going to be saying things that you may not
4: mean to say. That's my That's,
6: that's, that's my great. pitch
9: to somebody who needs to be uh, brought on board.
6: Yeah, I'm. A, I, yeah, I, go, go for it. Edward.
9: I'm going to come
7: really crassly from the opposite end of the spectrum. Some, some perhaps good advice that Lauren and I got when we consulted with a uh, a person who who works in the space for uh, uh, film production is like content. And just going back to the previous comment about um, uh, how how do we show people that it can be done well? Like a lot of this information. Uh, has been collected by wonderful organizations and is in a uh, document sort of landscape format. But just like, I mean, this person who built a very successful, uh, sustainable uh, consultancy for production companies. she said like, our first projects we got great B-roll um, and the like two minute, you know, Vimeo videos that we put together uh, are how we inspired two dozen other companies to uh, engage in this work. And so, you know, is it like the TikTok for... Uh, sustainable design or you know it's something uh, I think we need to appeal to um, uh, our higher natures and also our our lowest most immediate uh, eye-grabbing nature perhaps as well
6: thanks excellent the floor is I don't open. want that to be the last word so. no, no it's no, not I, the last I, word I I'm gonna that's... I'm gonna start calling on people
5: <laughs> I think go that, for it michelle that's totally great but yeah we do have to make sexy this movement which is really a lot more about just you know survival and justice and it is about consumerism but um we are living in the society we're living in as we critique it or whatever you said at the end um but i guess i would say um use the, like try to be aware of the influence that you have and use it So you know we're designers. We work in a material art form, but we also have the ear of some of the most powerful people in the room. Sometimes the um, producers, artistic directors, directors, and if we can shift a project from just being our personal material exploration into uh, organic materials to a community partnership, something that can uh, increase the positive impact of a project um, with your design direction and your and your artistic influence, then then do it.
2: Awesome. I want to draw from uh, The Good Place, the TV show. <laughs> if you haven't watched it, uh, I highly recommend it. Um, uh, but there's a, there's a part there where they, they, they have someone who's not really good and um, they're trying to make them better and they say, you know, we're, we're tricking them into doing good things. Even though their their motivation is not good, um, but that by going through the motions, it becomes habit, and then eventually they will be they will they will uh, absorb that motion uh, that that uh, 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 the motivation. And I, I think that's that's uh, that's an important thing. And it, it like time back to something that Edward said earlier on. Um, that I think once we start making sustainable choices and start making them habits, so even things like when we started recycling, like now it's just it's just like cans and bottles go in recycling, they don't go in the garbage. I don't think you think about it anymore. Um, things like, you know, separating your paint or washing your brushes and buckets and stuff before you, you do the final rinse of the sink um, uh, or choosing a more sustainable construction method um, that, it, that uh, as you do that, and going back to something that I think Ken said about about um, uh, uh, about this this design muscle, or maybe it was that word earlier, um This must design being a muscle, and uh, and that you exercise it, and, and the more you exercise it, the the uh, the more the better you'll get at it, and um, the the easier it'll get. Um, so I think that's something that, that we can take to to all of our colleagues and say, let's just start let's just start with this one thing, let's start with this next thing, let's keep building on and just keep doing it and eventually you don't even think think about it and think about doing it. Uh, it just becomes a forced habit.
8: I think that's great. Logan, go for it. Yeah, I think uh for like anyone wanting to get be more aware of, you know, sustainability in their design work. And I'll specifically, like, talk as, you know, the most junior person in this call uh, and talking to, like, people who are, like, close to, you know, coming out of school um, and stuff. Uh, that, I think that is the time to make that a central thing in your aesthetic as a designer. Uh, this is, you know, like, I starting out was... When I, I, you know, I was companies with like friends and stuff was the work that I was getting. So a lot of work starting out will be with, you know, like-minded colleagues. And I think you surround yourself with those people who also believe in this, make that part of of what you're coming in with early on. And as you grow as a designer, and you'll find more ways to do that. But people will also like... Like, see that as, as part of when they hire you, it's, you know, you are someone who cares about this, this path and stuff. Like, this is, is part of your design. You've, you've, you've thought of it. Um, and, yeah, I, I think, the, you know, the, the best time to start was yesterday, and the second best time to start is today. I think that I
6: think that's great. Yeah, you 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 build the the reputation uh of the type of work that you get and that's why you end up working cuz people want to work with you. So if part of that is your value part of that is your value system and so if you make it clear that this is part of your value system that that uh that's going to be like I don't know. I'm stuck on it because I'm like, well, that's really obvious. Why did I <laughs> um Anyway, thank you, Logan.
4: Um, Lauren, Elia. Uh, I I mean, I guess one of the things that I think about when I'm talking to other people is just uh, either I I have a tendency to get two reactions, one of which is they feel overwhelmed by the uh, enormity of the job ahead of them. know it's the you know it's the sort of standing at the bottom of the mountain looking at the top thinking you're never going to reach the top but it's just that you know as logan says it's just like that first step um and and i think so many so many of us get to that first step through different ways some of it is um values some of it is uh practicality um you know and i find that it's helping people uh through whatever means they require to get to that, to start moving on that road is, you know, probably the most important thing. Um, and I, if I encounter people that are struggling with it, it's, you know, you, you basically try and LMA, it's going to be cheaper, it's going to be more fun. Um, and, you know, their, their lovers are going to love it. You know, like it's kind of making sexy as somebody said in the, in the chat. Um, you know, I think that's kind of what we what we do. Uh and I guess we're trying to. So, yeah. so I I you know, or that or scare the pants off of them. <laughs> you know, look at how many hurricanes or typhoons uh are are hitting the south. And if we're not careful, that's gonna be us next.
6: Lauren, on the subject of pants.
4: On the subject of
6: what? Uh, of pants that's the that's the best segue, I you can think of coming to, to some, some working with garments I hope I didn't completely ruin your thoughts
3: no that's just funny um not needed anymore in this time of zoom that's my official official advice on that um no I just to add to the question of um you know how how would I discuss this what conversation would I have with someone who's just coming into this work or just interested in this work for the first time. I think I I think it's important when you know encouraging people to start with their own story and figure out what their values are so that you can help them find an entry point that resonates with them that they feel passionate about. Um, and there's so many different entry points from a human perspective, from an environmental material reuse perspective. Um, and I think there is certain imagery that's associated with sustainability. I think Michelle mentioned earlier, oat milk, and, you know, um, and, but it's not about buying your way into sustainability. It's about sustainability as a core value. So I think um, I, yeah, I would just have a kind of a conversation about what, what does a toxic environment look like and what does a non-toxic environment look like and brainstorm from there? Because I think that's how, you can start to build shared purpose if you just make, you know, if you make a little space for people and they might not even realize what they're passionate about aligns with sustainability. They, you know, um, so it, that's where I would start. I
6: think that's that, that's excellent. There's, um, Kendra's heard me say this a couple of times. I think she was there the first time that I actually said it out loud to other people, but, um, there's a uh, there's a book called *Sapiens* by Yuval Harari, and one of the one of the ideas in it is that civilization is entirely made up, and it's true. Like this entire, it exists because we agree that it exists. Um, and in that way, I think you could extend that then into turning it into that uh, like civilization is a performance that we do for each other, and I'd like to think that then we can use performance conversely to be a model for what we would like civilization to be like, it's this, this microcosm of what we can do. Um, so, so we should leverage that, that modeling exercise to like. uh, and I think that's something that we already do as, um, as theater artists. That's, 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 that's what it is. That's the job. Um, we're at time. I'm going to, I'm going to thank you all. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go through a zoom order and, uh, and, uh, because that's the easiest way to do it. Although Zoom, and I, I played with it a little bit earlier, has now made it so you can actually move your tiles around um, if you have the latest version of it. Um, so uh, in this, uh, thank you all for joining me in this pants optional phase of our existence. Uh, thanks, Michelle and Edward and Lauren and Paul. I'm not going to ask of anybody, no show of hands. I'm Trust that you're all decent. Elia, Kendra, Logan, and Ken, Uh, for joining me in this conversation. I want to thank Jen Stewart and Connor Moore uh, who are in the background and have been essential in organizing and pulling this together, both this and the pact, uh, the conversation that we had last week uh, in pulling together people from the Vancouver Design Forum and uh, the ADC Uh, and and therefore packed as well i want to uh, acknowledge again those who um could be with us for this conversation but have been essential as we've been evolving this uh, this conversation uh shizuka kai um sage paul and i i failed to mention at the top of things kevin matthew wong who joined us last week as well on the pack call from broadleaf uh theater and why not theater Um, and i want to thank michael for having us and tip it back to him to close us out
0: Thank you so much. Another uh, pretty spectacular, oh, my my mic is so hot right now. Another pretty spectacular conversation. Thank you all for sharing all of your thoughts. And I just want to, I want to acknowledge one of the things that, I mean, I think about how theater has sort of affected my next two careers that I went into uh, that were not theater, Uh, certainly performative in many ways, but certainly not theater. And uh, one of the things theater has given me uh, is the training to be to, to have empathy and uh, you've spoken all of you have spoken several in diff- different ways on uh, the importance of theater beyond just telling story beyond just entertaining but uh, teaching not only ourselves but others on how to be empathic and to uh, think about each other and our relationships in a different way Uh, And that is certainly illustrated and is at the foundation of, uh, you know, one of the foundations of the sustainability uh, movement and, and uh, the idea that we can make art differently in a way that is, uh, uh, blends with our environment and blends with the planet better and and thinks about our future. Uh, So thank you all for reminding me about that. That is fantastic. Um, uh, I want to remind everybody that uh, the bios for everybody on the panel, are are going to be available on thetitleblock.com in the most recent episode. You'll find it in your feeds on Monday morning at 8 a.m. I am, uh, thankfully, have gotten everything together tonight, so I'm not going to be a bit of a, there's not going to be a delay in releasing this. Uh, And uh, you'll find bios there. You'll find uh, uh, other great interviews with other designers uh, that we've talked to uh, over the last, uh, now, six years of the Title Block, which is ridiculous. Um, I never thought it would last this long and uh, it's only because of the uh, support from the community members like you guys uh, that we have. And just pers- 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 to pursue it to your point about who listens to the show, I have no idea. Uh, I, don't have, I don't collect statistics on it. I don't have the time to like package things to sell for ads and all that other stuff that podcast people who actually make money doing this do. Um, but uh, there certainly has been a lot of good feedback from not only the design community but the but aspiring designers and students. And this is the kind of conversation and leadership, I think they need to see modeled uh, for them. So uh, thank you for that. So we'll see you uh, at thetitleblock.com. You can listen to the entire show uh, on Monday uh, in your headphones. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Title Block Live. I don't know when that will be, probably in a month. Uh, Connor Moore uh, and Jennifer Stewart and Michelle Cutler and others have been working really hard uh, to generate that content for me, and I'm happy to produce all of it. Uh, and I'm so lucky to be surrounded by uh, such terrific audience and uh, audience, excuse me, uh, artists and humans like you all. So thank you. We'll see you next time on the Title Black Live uh, and uh, have a great evening. Bye bye.